This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Friends, our scripture this morning um, comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. We'll be in 13 pretty much the whole sermon, but if we're going to start with 13, 1 through 3. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to it at this time. If you have a digital app, you can use that. We'll also have it projected on the screens. And as you take a moment um, to find it, I'd like to just set up our conversation for us today. We are in week three of a four-week series, and we are calling The Spiritual Art of Subtraction. Now, as, as we, we being the pastors of our family of faith, our family of faith is not just one campus, but it's four campuses. It's Apex, it's the Peak, it's 519, which is in the Morrisville area, it's um, Fiesta Cristiana, which is worshiping right now in, in DC 400. Um, we pastors, we get together um, a couple times throughout the year and really look at uh, where we feel God is leading us, what we feel God is, is asking us to speak about. And, and as we consider this season, a season in which, you know, we're, we're really making a, a transition. Many of us have gotten into our rhythms for the fall. Um, we are preparing for, for holidays like Thanksgiving, for seasons like Advent and, and Christmas. And, and while we have um, these major days in the life of well, in the life of our church, but even in the life of, of our country and world, um, one of the things that we realize is there's so much encouragement during this season to consider the things that matter most, what you're most thankful for, um, those who you are closest to, who you will spend a majority of your time with. And, and yet, even as we approach these moments, these moments of sometimes pause, these moments of rest, it seems like the world around us, and maybe our world, um, becomes increasingly chaotic somehow. Even this week, um, many in our country especially, but right here, you know, where we live, will experience this, this shift, right, from a moment of pause where perhaps many of us on Thanksgiving will, will share a meal with family or close friends or a little bit of both, and then... For, for some, that same day or the next day, we are full on into this, you know, very consumeristic, heavy season of, of Christmas and, you know, Black Friday. And now they're, you know, now you can like start Black Friday on like Thursday afternoon or Thursday evening. And, and I'm not trying to indict that, you know, at, at times like that kind of stuff, you know, for, for as sad as it is, at time, you know, we can get into that. We can make memorable experiences of it. We can, we can have fun with it. Um, but it's just reflective of these two things we hold in tension during this season. We want to draw closer. Our faith calls us to draw closer to God in this season as we remember one of the greatest stories ever told, which is God coming in the form of a baby in Jesus. We remember that which was most important to us and that which we're thankful for, and, and yet um, things seemingly become increasingly chaotic in our lives. And, and one of um, the realities of that that we've found in Scripture, um, that we've found through the history of the church especially, is that oftentimes when people wanted to connect more fully with God, with each other, and with themselves, 
Uh, they didn't do so by adding, by adding things to their schedule, by adding things to their activity list, by adding things to their mind. More often than not, the path to deeper connection with God, um, with each other, and with themselves, with yourself, has not actually been through more, but through less. But through less. And so that, that's the foundation for this series, that we might in this season, even as things might feel like they are becoming increasingly chaotic in our world, that we might consider, what is God actually asking us to, to maybe remove? Remove from our calendar, remove from the clutter of our mind, remove from the clutter of our spaces, so that we might actually do a better job of connecting with God, with each other, and, and with ourselves. And that's where this spiritual art of subtraction comes from. And today, specifically, as we prepare to head into this week where we will have this, this um, day of thanksgiving and share this meal, and we thought, why not talk about the spiritual art of subtraction when it comes to relationships? Relationships. Anybody ever, um, anybody ever wish they had like a subtraction button for some relationships in your life? Now, our scripture this morning um, provides a great foundation for this conversation. It's one that perhaps you've heard time and time again. This is Paul's um, first letter to the Corinthians. It's chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to read the first three verses for you. Chances are you have heard this at some point in your life. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's a great scripture to read, one I've read many a Sunday morning, um, one I've read many times over. At, at weddings that I've had the opportunity to be a part of. Chances are you've heard this scripture um, at some point in your life or seen a picture with this scripture um, painted on it. It's just great scripture to read. It's one that often fills us with hope, one that maybe fills us with joy, and one, if we really pay attention, um, that can be one of the most challenging scriptures for us to read. I wanna give a little context to where this comes from because so often this scripture is just read um, for its own sake. But, it, but it's actually one of Paul's landing points in his letter to the Corinthians. He's, he's been working for a minute to make a point to this church. And I'll tell you that the Corinthian church um, was a church that was incredibly steeped in division and sin. Okay, uh, this past summer we spent 10 weeks on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And many times over as we preached those sermons, I, I shared how Paul loved the Philippian church. They were kind of like the, you know, the model children 
for Paul. They were the ones that Paul was bragging about to everybody. So the Corinthians were not those people. They were like the opposite people, okay? Um, Paul is writing to them because they are not getting the point. And there's a lot of stuff that was going on in that time, especially um, in the area of Corinth where um, people were worshiping various gods and pagan gods and and the the people within the church were trying to move away from that. But some experienced that that transition was harder um, than it was for others. And they couldn't align themselves even on what they agreed on within the church. So you have all these issues going on outside of the church, but then people even within the church couldn't figure out what it was that really held them together. And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, and as he's writing this letter, um, he spends a lot of time talking about the different issues they're having, how they can't seem to see eye to eye on things, how they are struggling um, to be divided, divided amongst themselves, how they are struggling Um, to to figure out what it means to be people of God who worship God and who don't worship these other gods who, who, you know, kind of lead people in a bad direction. And in chapter 12, leading into chapter 13, um, Paul is talking about how all these people in the body of Christ need to have a focus of unity, of coming together. But he does so in a really interesting way. He talks about um, the difference between being divided and being unified and how you can be unified, you can be one without being necessarily the same. This is where Paul's language about we are many members of one body. That's where this language comes from. We are many members of one body. So we're all the body of Christ, but each of us experiences how we are part of that body differently. And so at the end of chapter 12, Paul gives some different spiritual gifts that people might possess. He talks about um, being prophetic. He talks about teaching, which then when you turn around and you read the beginning of 13 where he says, but if I have prophecy and if I have understanding, if I have all the generosity in the world to give all that I have and all that I am, but I have not love, Paul lands on this thing called love because at the end of chapter 12, he says, while there are many different spiritual gifts, some of which you will possess, some of which you will not, others will possess those. There is one that connects all of us and he calls it a more excellent way. A more excellent way. That's like the final phrase in chapter 12, more excellent way. And he says that more excellent way is this characteristic of love. That love is actually what makes Christians who they are. And I always like to think about tone when I'm reading the scripture. Is the tone in which I read the scripture the tone in which it was intended? So often when I read this passage of scripture, I read it in a very sweet and calming um, tone, especially the next string of verses. Chances are you've heard these even more than the ones I read um, previously, but the love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. But I wonder if that's the way that, that Paul intended um, for that scripture to be read. He's, he's writing to a group of people who continuously get it wrong. And I wonder if, if it was a little more emphatic than that, a little bit more of, 
of, hey, love is patient. Have you been practicing your patience? Do you have patience in you? If people were to look at you and see your life, would they say that you are a person of patience? Love is kind. Have you been practicing kindness? Have you been kind to other people? Love is not boastful or arrogant. I wonder, honestly, if that might have been more of the way that Paul was writing that scripture. And when I read it, do I receive it with the challenge that Paul really intended to give? Which was, when, when I read this scripture, do I feel like it's describing me? And if not, am I missing something? So for Paul, this was really the heart of the gospel, this characteristic of love. And, and even um, beyond Paul, John Wesley, who founded really the, the Methodist movement, started the movement that would become the Methodist church. We spent a lot of time talking about John Wesley at the end of the summer. Um, he would go on to talk about this scripture particularly in his commentary on 1 Corinthians and he would say that love connects us to heaven, connects us to the heart of God more than anything. You'll, you might know that at the end of this chapter 13, Paul says, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. And what Wesley said about that was, faith and hope were like the sum of perfection on earth, but love was the sum of perfection in heaven. Love is the sum of perfection in heaven because in heaven our faith and our hope are fully realized, but love continues on. Love continues to connect us with the heart of God. And so one of the reasons I wanted to preach on this text today is because for as, for as simple as, as this might sound, um, I actually wonder if, if some of the issues um, we find becoming realities especially in the midst of, in regards to our relational capacity um, with, with one another, um, with our communities and with our world, has come from the fact that we have somehow forgotten how to actually love. And what this word, this powerful word actually means. It's a word that we experience in many different ways. We've, we've really been desensitized to this word love and we don't have enough words in our language to really capture what we mean by it. I could sit here and tell you, and I really hope to do this while my wife was here, gosh, so I hope um, she hears this. Um, Amy, I hope she hears this somewhere, wherever she is. Um, I could sit here and talk to you about how much I love my wife. And how wonderful she is. And in the same breath, I could talk to you about how much I love Publix. And their subs. There's something special about a Publix sub. They are good, thank you. And you walk in there and they just treat you right. It's like, it's like you know, whenever they go through the process of becoming a Publix employee, they just have this scripture, hey Amy, what's up? <laughs> they, just, they just have this ingrained in them. Um, you know, Publix gets it. I could actually preach the rest of my sermon on how much I love Publix. 
um, and how great they are. I won't do that. Amy, I talked about how much I love you. I hope, yeah, aw, aw. The reality is that I could talk about both those things. And my hope is that you would understand that, that you know, <laughs> my, my love for my wife is different than my love for public subs. Um, but in the, same, in the same way, I'm using that word. I'm using the same word to describe them two very different things. And I think part of our reality is that we've been desensitized to that word um, so much that it makes it harder for us to hear uh, this scripture, I believe, in the way that Paul intended for us to hear it. And that if Paul was, was writing us a letter today, um, it might sound a lot more like the letter he wrote to the Corinthians than the letter he wrote to the Philippian uh, people. One of the things I think is behind that is that the way we experience relationships in our world has kind of shifted, at least predominantly, predominantly. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not like an incredibly old human being, okay? I'm, I'm only 32 years old. Um, but when I, was, when I was a kid and I was building relationships and friendships, like I was, I, I still came before the, you know, everybody has a phone, everybody has access to the internet, everybody has access to all these things and all these ways where they can, you know, essentially connect with people and communicate with people. So, so that kind of started, you know, towards like when I got at the end of high school, beginning of, of college for me. So when I was growing up, if I wanted to like really have a friend, I still had to, you know, go to their house and knock on their door and see if they were there or if they could hang out. Um, if, if there was a conflict between us that I wanted to work out, I had to do it in person. I really couldn't do it, you know, over some form of, of message or, or some media platform. And in many ways that shaped my ability at the time to form deep connections and deep relationships and deep friendships in a way that actually impacted um, how I was in relationship with the world around me. You fast forward several years, and, and I'm not just talking about for a younger generation, I'll say even for myself, I think that a lot of that has flipped in the sense that I spend most of my relational building time um, not outside of my immediate family, so my wife and my kids, not actually in face-to-face -face building relationships in that way. Um, more of it is often through some form of, you know, like a text message, if you're like really my friend, or like, you know, Facebook or, mess or whatever it is that we have the opportunity to engage each other with. And it's become less of a reality for us to actually prioritize, I believe, being in the room with other people. Which is why I feel when you look at, at times the state of things in our world and you see how quick we are to snap at one another or to say hurtful things towards one another, um, it's because most of our relationships that we engage with and most of the relational building time that we spend in relationships with others isn't actually in, you know, building deep relationships, but it's in these surface level things that really don't matter all that much to us anyway. 
I saw a funny picture one time that kind of rated, this is how you know you're a friend of mine. So from like, you're an acquaintance to you're my best friend. And, and it was kind of outrageous, but like number three said, I'll, I'll spend time with you in person. Number two was, I'll take a bullet for you. And number one was, I'll talk to you on the phone. <laughs> like I won't just text you, I'll call you and I'll talk to you. And so I wonder if we're fully able to hear um, Paul's words and the ways that maybe he might have intended for us and hoped that we would hear them, especially for the Corinthian people, but even for us today. One of the things we've been doing throughout this series is connecting us with um, the early monastics in the church, those who spent intentional time separating themselves from society so that they could more fully connect with the heart of God. And one person who did that, really out of this desire to take this command to love well, um, was a woman by the name of St. Catherine of Siena. This is a painting of her, um, St. Catherine of Siena. Her story is both heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. She felt a deep love and uh, she felt a deep call to love God, um, such that when, when she was um, six years old, she had a vision um, she had a vision that she went into this remote cave and actually stayed there um, for several days because she loved God so much she wanted to marry God. And she, you know, she later on like says, says she woke up and one of her siblings, she was um, one of, she was the 23rd of 25 children. 23rd of 25 children. Um, is woken up kind of out of that vision and believes that God spoke a very specific message to her, but she didn't know if it was real. So she went with her sibling to try to find this cave and, and she did and she goes into the cave and she sees this little, you know, these, these two sticks that she had kind of wrapped together in the form of a cross and felt like God was calling her to share the love she had for God with the world. And so this desire to love changed the trajectory of her life. Now, um, she was born into a lot of issue and heartache in the sense that in, at that time in history, the Black Plague was a thing. So 200 million people were wiped off the face of the earth in, in, um, in Europe as a result of the Black Plague, including her twin sister, including her twin sister. So she had some early heartache. Um, but one of the things that, that she realized is that she couldn't exist in any space and feel like she was apart from God. She felt that every space she walked into um, was some form of sanctuary where God existed. And so every place should be a place where the love of God fully existed. She wrote a poem, um, and, and an excerpt of that poem kind of reveals that belief in her heart. She said, it could be said that God's foot is so vast that this entire earth is but a field to his toe and all the forests in the world came from the same root of just a single hair of his. What then is not a sanctuary? I love that line. What then is not a sanctuary? Where then can I not kneel and pray at a shrine made holy by his presence? For Catherine, it was impossible um, to experience anything without experiencing the love of God in some way challenging her to connect everybody she came into contact with with that same love. Now, 
Now, I feel that in, in many ways, in many ways, and it might sound a little silly or cliche to say this, um, but, but our, our culture has somewhat let go um, to what it is to really love others well. One of the things I like to remind myself of all the time is that, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before in your life, that, that love is not just a warm and fuzzy, right? Like love is not just a warm and fuzzy feeling, it's an act, it's something that you do. That means you have to choose to love even when you might not like, right? So at times when I don't really like my children, I have to choose to love them anyway. And all of you, if you're giving me an eye, you know that that's truth. <laughs> um, the children in the room are like, what, you love me all the time? Yeah, sure. Um, but you have to choose um, to love people. It's something that you have to actively do. And I think in that sense, love, this, this real thing and this driving force in our world is like a muscle that you have to train that you can train that increases um, your strength and capacity to love yourself, to love God, and to love others well. But the way in which I believe there's so much more emphasis put on the size of our connections and the size of our network as opposed to the depth of our relationships close to us that actually impacts our ability um, to love well and to love fully. And to that end, um, one of the greatest examples I have in my life of, oh Lord, one of the greatest examples I have of, in my life of what it is to um, love others well is my wife, Amy. What's up, Amy? Love you. Um, Amy is really, really good at loving people. If you are part of Amy's inner circle, um, you're in a really good spot because Amy's the person who will regularly schedule phone calls with you, who will, you know, go out of her way to make sure that she's constantly, like, in the know of what's going on in your life. When Amy tells, asks you, like, what do you need me to pray for you for? She, she is legitimate. She's not going to say, yeah, I'll pray for you. She's going to set a time to sit down and pray for that thing. And, and one of the realities of that is that there's only so much, there's only so many relationships you can be in that intentionally. So, so at times it means that Amy has to make space for that in her life by saying no to other things that might take that time away. But in that, in choosing um, to love those close to her well, I believe it increases her strength and capacity to love the world. So if you ever spend any time with my wife, Amy, you'll know that she's like one of the most charitable human beings. Um, she desires to love everybody she comes into contact with, and she desires to do so well. But that doesn't happen accidentally. Amy really works out how she loves others. And she does so by focusing on those close to her and making sure that she has these, you know, so Amy is a best friend, 
right? I feel like in many ways we've forgotten how to be best friends. Um, but Amy challenges me constantly because we're different in that sense. I'm much more of like, I'll have a million penny friendships and Amy has like a few quarter friendships that helps her to love others well. Aww. I'm glad you were in here for that. And so really my desire for us um, leaving here today is, is, kind of, is really like simple and practical, especially because I feel like this week is a great week to just strive to ask ourselves, who are we connecting with intentionally and how are we connecting with them? Is there space in our life to intentionally connect with and build deep lasting relationships and friendships with people well? Do we have space to go and sit down for coffee with someone that we'd love to have a conversation with? Do we have space to call somebody on the phone and just say, hey, how you doing? How's life going for you? I haven't heard from you in a while. I'd love to talk to you. Do we have space in our lives to prioritize that kind of connection besides a holiday that happens once a year? If we search our hearts and we search our lives and the answer to that question is no, then I might ask, what do we need to subtract so that we can create space for that? Because that's what Paul is talking about. You can have all the friends in the world, you can, you can be the smartest person in the world, you can have the most kind and generous heart in the world, you can be the greatest speaker, the most prophetic human being, you can do all of those things, but if you do not have love, it's all for nothing. So how are you creating space in your life? And maybe just think about it, not in the terms of the rest of your life, but just this week. Can you be intentional this week about investing the best you have in one or two friendships, reaching out to someone, and creating some space that might actually increase your ability to love even beyond that space. That is my prayer for us today. Amen.